Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're starting a new section looking at Matthew 5, 38 to 42 and thinking about responding to insults. So we're well on the way into season three, the book of Matthew. And if you're here for the very first time, why not consider making the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life and either pick up where we are today or maybe consider going back a bit and catching up for a while and join us on this amazing, what I believe will be, a journey of at least another five years. And you can do that and make sure you never miss an episode by just subscribing at the place where you get this podcast from. So with that in mind, we'll drop right back in to the text in Matthew and I'll see you at the back end just to update you on a few things and say bye-bye. So bye-bye for now. So before we launch off today, I'd just like to ask you a quick question and that is, have you ever been insulted? Or have you ever been treated unjustly? Well, who hasn't? I suppose it's happened to us all at one one time or another. But here's the really big question. How did you respond to that injustice? How did you respond to that insult? How did you respond to that hurt or injury? And that's what I'm going to try and answer today. I'm going to try and see what this can teach us about how we all should respond to such things. Now, as you know, if you've been with us for a while, now that we're in the Gospel of Matthew, we've been progressing recently through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been talking about this real type of righteousness that he's trying to describe. And he does that by coming with with examples of what he says real righteousness is and should look like. And he does that by comparing it to the false, just for show type of external righteousness that is being demonstrated by those around him by comparing both types of responses to the Old Testament commandments and the teaching of the Mosaic law. He's looking at the way it's been interpreted by the scribes and the Pharisees and then he's unpacking that a bit and giving us his clarification of why that's wrong and how it should really be. In order to illustrate this further, he's now going to use the whole idea of being insulted and about people being treated unjustly. And he'll also throw in a few other things as he goes along. Now, the problem of facing injustice or being insulted and the response to it that this passage teaches is a really common problem and a serious problem that rises up in most people's lives. Therefore, I think it would be really incumbent upon us to pay very close attention to what Jesus has to say here because this is something that affects us all. As far as I'm concerned personally this is one of the most critical truths in all of the New Testament and it is critical to understand it and to have a correct interpretation of it because it also contains one of the most used and abused verses in the whole of the Bible. So with that in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and I'm going to begin by reading the actual main passage we're going to look at for I think it'll be about three days which is going to cover us from 38 to 42. So I'll read it in its entirety 
and then later on we'll come back and look at it verse by verse. So, starting Matthew 5:38 says, remember again Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this is a really fascinating piece of scripture, fascinating teaching by Jesus. And I believe I'm going to tell you things here which will completely turn on its head what you first think that this means when you first look at it and take it solely on face value. So let's begin. All right, so I mentioned a moment ago Jesus was talking about this real righteousness. He's telling us and he's trying to give us a moral interpretation of the laws of God originally given. And he does that by saying, first of all, that we must exceed the righteousness of the religious leaders. Of course, because he's talking about the religious leaders, he's that day he's talking to this group of people and he's saying you've got to exceed the righteousness of what these religious leaders you see around you and the interpretation they're putting on these teachings. Because if not, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God, he says. And Jesus actually said that, speaking just a few verses back, actually in verse 20, by the way. So clearly, we've already said that the overarching subject of the Sermon on the Mount is this thing called righteousness that he's wanting to tell us about how to be right before God, to stand right before a holy God. But he wants to talk about the real righteousness, not something that is just done for show, to in other words, look holy to other people. It's a way, uh, it's to be done in order to, com and the teaching he's given has been done to communicate us to us what this righteousness really is and he said it's got to be way greater than this interpretation of what it means that has been given today to those people by the scribes and the pharisees and interestingly it's still the interpretation that so many religious people tell people today about the way they should live their lives and the way jesus tackles this head on is he gives us a number of illustrations which are all based upon the Old Testament commandments and the teachings of the law that rose out of them. So the, the one he's looking at last time was very simple. It was the one, thou shalt not commit murder, do not murder. Now we saw last week that the scribes and the Pharisees had interpreted righteousness in relation to that particular commandment as only the external act of obeying the letter of each law. So you were not guilty of unrighteousness in the sense of murder unless you actually killed a person. But Jesus comes along here and blows the whole thing wide open and says, but if you have hatred in your heart, then you're already guilty of murder. So clearly what Jesus has been teaching all the way through this package, this passage is that real righteousness is an internal attitude, not just an external act. In trying to communicate this, he uses one illustration right after another, each one referring back to the Old Testament commandments. And then he comes to this point and he says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Now we need to look at this carefully because in the first place, I'm sure you know this is a quotation from the Old Testament, but in the second place, Jesus is not directly dealing with what was said in the Old Testament. He doesn't say it was written and then quote the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it said. So again, he's addressing the oral tradition that the Pharisees used to interpret what the Old Testament said. And we need to separate those two things. We need to separate what the Old Testament said that was written down and what the Pharisees were saying about it. So again, what we're going to do, we're going to look at very specifically the Old Testament quoted by Jesus and we're going to talk about the commandment as it first appeared in the Old Testament and then we're going to look at the interpretation put upon it in the Mosaic Law and then finally look at what the Pharisees said about it and frankly how they used and abused it. Then after that, which will probably be in the last day, we're going to see exactly what Jesus says, what the clarification he makes on what they did and were doing with this commandment. So let's just start Again, right back to the Old Testament saying, which was very simply about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, in order to understand what the Pharisees did with this, you need to understand the original meaning and the context in which it was given, because it appears several times. The verse first appears in Exodus 21:24, then again in Leviticus 24:20, 20, and then again in Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. So you can see that it appears several times in the Mosaic Law. But interestingly, it also appears in something much older, even than that, something called the Code of Hammurabi. And this was an ancient moral code written on a large stone that was dug up before Moses had even wrote down anything. So this concept was not something that was just in the Old Testament. It was all around in the ancient world. It was in the ancient, it obviously came by God initially in the most ancient pre-patriarchal era. That's way back in the time of creation, fall, flood and Babel. So it probably appeared then and it's found its way from there into earlier secular moral and civic codes that spread out around the world after the people were scattered after the Tower of Babel fell. That's my belief anyway. So what does it mean when it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, let me suggest that there are several things involved in this statement. But one thing, if you look at these passages, and I'm not going to have the time to go through them all right now today, but you will discover if you study this in depth, as others have, that the consensus of the Bible experts is that this was a call for a public response, a public, not a private, individual action. And what I mean by that is that this was not something that you were called to do personally. It was something that the society was to do. Uh, it was a way the society, the civic authorities, would respond to an act of evil or violence. Or as we should say today, it was something that was the government's responsibility to take care of. To quote, actually, the whole verse from Exodus chapter 1, Moses actually says that is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as the judge determines. 
or as the judges determine. So this, so there is definitely not embedded in this idea, the idea as most believe the basis that you can go right out and extract an eye from someone who's cost you an eye, but rather it gave you an authority to take a loss or a grievance to court and allow the judge to decide what punishment actually fitted the crime. The judge would try and work out according to that principle. That's how he is instructed. And by doing that, strict justice would then remain within the responsibility of the judge to decide. But there's another observation we need to make about this, that this was also meant to actually set a limit to any potential punishment. Now that might not be apparent on the surface here, but if you really think about this phrase for a minute, to say an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth actually sets the upper limit for the punishment that can be carried out in somebody that's done something wrong. It limits the damage to be equivalent to the damage that they have done. And it wasn't just about physical acts of violence against people, but it's a useful way of illustrating it. And that's why Jesus did it. And if I were to do the same thing now and say, say someone punched someone on the jaw and a tooth fell out, or there were some kind of accidents or fracas and someone caused someone to lose an eye, strict justice would then say that all anyone can be punished for this offence, if they're the one that caused the loss of the eye, is the loss of their own lie. Or if they caused the loss of a tooth, then potentially the loss of a tooth as well. So you see, it's all about setting a principle of what we today call equivalent justice. As one person has said, the idea is way more than just talking about a physical eye for an eye. It's talking about creating a judicial justice system that recognises a punishment should be commensurate with the crime. You may have heard the expression tit for tat. It's an English common law expression from the Middle Ages and it apparently, literally translated, means blow for blow. And that's the same principle applied into English common law. If someone hits you, it, it literally meant in the knightly codes that if someone hit you, you got one blow back. But here's the thing. God knows human nature. And he knows in reality that if we're wronged and if someone hits us or punches us, we want two punches back. If someone wants to hit you, you want to hit them back twice or maybe just twice as hard. But if you think about it, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth saying actually limits the punishment that you're allowed to meet out. It's an interesting concept because it sets a limit, but not just on the damage that can be extracted from the person to whom the retribution should fall upon, but also it limits the punishment to the originator of the crime. So again, God knows what we're like and he knows that left to our own free will. Well, even now, today in societies, when someone is wronged or hurt, our revenge means they will often kick out and go way beyond the person who caused the offence. They'll think that whole family's got to pay or that tribe's got to pay or that whole nation needs to be punished. And now, interestingly, this is the exact attitude of justice that has been practiced in organised crime families for generations and even in the street gangs to this day in our cities in developed countries. The idea is that if one member of your gang is 
has something done to them by a member of another gang, you're not just going to extract a punishment by punishing the one person with a similar level of proportional justice. You're going to go after, go way beyond that, and you're going to try and wreak havoc across the whole neighbourhood, not just that person who stepped out of line. And sadly, I believe we even see that sort of attitude of retribution and vengeance sometimes even being sought by nation against nation in these days. So this eye for an eye thing, among other things, indicates that there's not only a limit to punishment, but it ensures that any search for justice does not become a search for vengeance. As a matter of fact, many suggest that this statement is in fact the opposite of what you think. It's the beginning of mercy because it says you can't go beyond the individual guilty person who was responsible for the damage done in any way at all. Now another observation worth making is, and a lot of people don't know this, is what the Old Testament meant by this we can actually determine from historical, extra-biblical writings that this injunction was actually never done or never meant to be done literally. As a matter of fact, the rabbis argue that you couldn't do it literally because it's very likely, if you're legalistic about it, that you could, you, you could maybe do too much and then be liable for punishment yourself. Let me explain. For example, let's suppose someone put the eye out of someone else and the assailant himself had only one good eye. Then, by putting out the remaining eye of that assailant, the good eye, you were overreaching and you were extracting more than an eye for an eye because you were leaving him at a greatly disadvantaged position than before. But if you removed his already badly functioning eye, then you hadn't really achieved anything either. So again, the legalistic approach to this by the Pharisees crashed on the rocks, didn't it? But at that time, what went on, all sorts of comparative equivalent punishments were trying to be calculated. The first century rabbis came to this and they argued that they should certainly apply the principle of an eye or an eye, but they couldn't do it literally so that they would try and work out what might be an exact equivalent punishment. Now, it's a fascinating way to understand this verse, isn't it? Maybe you're like me, and when I first approached it years ago, I thought it just meant if someone does something to you, that you could do something back. And that was the Old Testament law, and then Jesus came and, and adapted that. But it's a bit more than that, isn't it? Because by the time Jesus had appeared, the situation in first century Palestine is that special rabbis were appointed and tasked to determine the monetary value of anything done wrong to someone. For example, the monetary value of an eye that a particular individual would have to pay would be, would be calculated of, of how much the eye was worth or whatever the loss was. And that's the way the religious courts made sure that it was always an eye for an eye, but just an eye for an eye. But rabbis had to go into incredibly complicated details and some went even further to determine the exact amount that should be paid. And the common way that was settled upon by the time Jesus was around was they took the view, they imagined that the injured person should be valued as a slave. 
as a slave and then they would ask what would be the value adjustment before and after the injury of a slave in that circumstance their selling price in the market and the person responsible for the offence would then pay the difference between those two values gets really complicated doesn't it so this is one of the ways that that simple scripture you have heard it said an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth which is quoted here by Jesus originally of course from the Old Testament but that's one way which it was being interpreted by the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus's day they reduced it as they did everything to a case of putting a monetary value on the case but another way they interpreted it rather sinisterly was as a way of using it as an instrument of revenge. But I think we'll just leave it there and we'll look at that in the next episode. Okay friends, thank you so much for joining me. We'll be another couple of days in this passage and I do hope you're finding it helpful. And if you are finding this teaching helpful and this journey we're on together helpful, then why not consider liking it or sharing it or even reviewing it on those places on social media that you happen to parade on. Because I'm told that is the most effective way we can bring more people into the orbit of the Word of God and the gospel and the words of Jesus themselves and maybe by doing so you will encourage other people perhaps for the first time to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their everyday lives. Now if you are recently new to us a couple of things worth pointing out. The podcast is hosted on the Bible Project website which is thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com and on there you'll not only find an episode notes page but also a transcript to each and every every podcast that I do. All the teachings I do are always put in the public domain, copyright free for you to use in whatever way you want for your own personal study or for preparing materials of your own. Please take them and use them with my blessing. But also, as well as a transcript, within the episode notes, you'll find links to other ways you can connect to my ministry. Places like my YouTube channel, which has the archive of previous teaching in playlist formats by book and by theme. So if you're looking for someone in partic- something in particular, you can probably find it more effectively there than scrolling through what are now hundreds and will become thousands of podcast episodes. But there's other places and other ways you can connect with me there. There's the Facebook page as well as my Patreon page which is where people who want to support my ministry and partner with it can do that. At the moment I've got a series on helping people, a course if you like, on preaching and how to prepare sermons particularly from an expository nature. So the links to all those sorts of things are found within the episode notes page either on the Buzzsprout website, thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com or within the episode notes of wherever you happen to be receiving your podcasts from. But there you go. With that said, I'll close off now and I'll just say thanks again, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. It's such an encouragement to me to know that there are so many of you out there who've made the decision to subscribe and follow every day the Bible Project 
Monday to Friday compilation episode at the weekend and to make the study of the Bible part of your everyday lives. And I do trust I'll see you back here again very soon. Bye-bye for now.